It occurred to me that the uh, worship team is, is our, they are our Levites. And so they are leading us with instruments and leading us with joy. Uh, what an exciting thing it is to be in God's Word and to be in God's house. Are you blessed to be here? Amen. Uh, we're in a series that I've called Building Back Boulder, uh, and we are at a point in the history of God's people that is amazing. As people come, uh, we're coming together and making a big movement at that time. Uh, the return from exile is the event that is triggering all that we're studying. 50,000 Jews made their way 900 miles from Babylon back to Jerusalem in order to uh, reestablish the temple, reestablish the uh, holy city that we've been talking about, the city of David. And really all of this was blessed in a prophecy that we find in Jeremiah. Uh, We often have studied it. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, is about this time. And we love this passage. Uh, I think in almost any version uh, that you you might find, it's a blessing. But I'd like you to read it out loud with me right now. Let's, Let's read this aloud. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And this is really something we claim for ourselves, but it's about this point in history that we have been studying. Last weekend, uh, we uh, had Pastor Paul lead us uh, in the study that we called uh, When Things Bogged Down. Uh, Because they got there, they built the altar, they began to make sacrifices, but then things bogged down and they they didn't get the, the anything more than the foundation laid for the temple itself. And so things were just kind of stuck. Uh, and uh, Haggai addressed that by talking about priorities. There are really just two reasons uh, that we can see the plans of God stymied. Uh, one is the priorities that we set, and that's what had happened. Their economy was tanking because they hadn't set God as a priority. We need to listen to that, don't we? Uh, because uh, things are not going to go well. The blessing is not going to be there if we do not have the priority set uh, in terms of uh, focusing on the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, This weekend, we're going to talk about a different problem, and it is the problem of adversaries. Ezra focused on the adversaries that they were facing in the land, and we want to hear about that. It's really an important thing to deal with. So in this message, uh, we're going to learn how to recognize, resist, and repel the adversaries that come against the plans that God has for us. How many of you want God's plan? Okay, I hope. And so we we don't want that to be stymied by the adversary. So we're in Ezra chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 and then verse 24. So let's listen and hear the word of God. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esharhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. 
But Zerubbabel, Yeshua, and the rest of the heads of fathers' houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, and even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, and Mithridath, and Tabil, and the rest of their associates, wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. The letter was written in Aramaic and translated. Rahum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to Artaxerxes, the king, as follows. And then in verse 24, Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped. And it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, let's stand and let's thank God for his word. Father God, sometimes these moments in history sound very complicated and we hear names that that you know, but we've not heard before. And yet we know this is breathed into your scripture for a purpose and we want to receive that purpose. We want to receive what you have for us in these scriptures at this moment in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So this is a passage about adversaries. And that's what we're going to be focused on today. But first of all, we need to understand that there's a difference between adversity and adversaries. Now they sound the same. Those words are very uh, related to each other. And both can be in the same situation, but there is a big difference between those two things. And the simplest uh, point would be that adversity is not personal. Adversity is just the stuff that happens. It happens to, uh, well, the rain falls on the, on the evil and on the good. <laughs> and, and much of it uh, actually makes us stronger. There are many scriptures that talk about the value of adversity. And so we don't want to miss that. James chapter 1 is is one of those. Uh, James wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet adversity, trials. You need to have joy when you face adversity, for you know that in the testing of your faith, that produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How many of you would like to be lacking in nothing? I should get a response from everybody on that. And, and so we want to be lacking in nothing. We, we want to be perfect and complete in his plan. And adversity is part of what God uses to move us in that direction. So adversity is not personal. Uh, it's not, it's not the, the world or, or something picking on you. That's not what is happening. 
But adversaries are personal. And that's the thing, that's the biggest difference. Adversaries are, are specific. They study your vulnerabilities. They then scheme and connive and, and betray you. Adversaries have one goal, and that is to slow you down or stop what God is doing in your life. That's what adversaries do. The other name for it we'll see is enemies. There are enemies, and they are personal. You know, we often say that in any kind of battle, in any kind of warfare, you need to know your enemy, and that's what this is about. We're going to have both adversity, which a lot of times really helps us, builds us, strengthens us, gets us to a place where we can handle the adversaries when they come against us. Well, the Israelites were facing adversaries. Uh, Verse 1, now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. Uh, That's the very beginning of this whole passage. The the word there that's translated adversary is tsar in Hebrew. Say that with me, tsar. Yeah, it's kind of a, we don't have a consonant like that, really, but tsar. And it means a narrow or tight place. That may sound familiar. A distress or enemy. It means to cramp or to crowd or to besiege or to narrow or to bind. It it sounds very similar and it is similar in its nature to the word that we find in the New Testament for tribulation. You remember we studied that? It's like you're going into a closer and tighter and tighter place. That's what tribulation is. Uh, It's the word thalipsis. So it's similar to that word. It's not a good word. It's not something that we want to be facing. The Bible says that we must be watchful, keep our eyes open for your adversary. 1 Peter 5.8 is such a, a, a powerful statement. Be sober-minded, be clear-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we find out that really the the main adversary you have is the devil himself. Now, sometimes people will say, well, I don't have any enemies. Oh, yeah, you do. We, we need to know that we have enemies. We have a primary enemy. Scripture says it right there. Why don't we read that out loud together? It's so, so powerful for us. Ready? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, all right, to devour. It doesn't say to bother or to annoy, but to devour. And that that adversary, that enemy, opposes the plans that God has for you that we talk about so often, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. So he's against that plan and is working against it. And so dealing with adversaries calls us to recognize, resist, and repel those adversaries. And really, this is the pattern that Jesus set for us when he faced temptation in the wilderness. I won't read the whole passage of Scripture, but uh, Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 through 11, in, in that time of temptation, remember, Jesus recognized the devil and his schemes. He knew right away what was going on. And then he resisted the temptation that was offered to him. Here, here make some bread. You're hungry? Make some bread. You can, you can do this. Uh, you want some attention to you? Why don't you fall off this high place? He resisted the, those temptations. And then he repelled the adversary with the word of God. Uh, he, said, he said, Satan, get away from me. Go away. 
And when he did that, Satan had to go away. The Bible says that when we resist the devil, he will flee you. He, he has to go away. Now, now we want, yeah, praise God. We don't want to misunderstand when it talks about the lion. You know, I was struggling with that this week. I, I thought, now why is it that the Bible says that the devil is a lion and we know that Jesus is the lion of Judah? Why is that? Well, it doesn't say that. We need to understand what it actually says. Scripture says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. That's different. Imitating a roaring lion. That, that's one of the main ploys of the enemy is to imitate the truth. The enemy imitates the power of Jesus. And that's why he's prowling around. Except his intention is not to bless you and not to give you hope in a future, but to devour you. So we need to understand that difference. The only, he, he's not the lion, okay? He's like, he acts like a lion. The only lion is the lion of Judah. When he roars, he roars with power. And we read about that in the book of Revelation. We studied that. So in this time of Ezra and Nehemiah, how do they recognize who were the adversaries? Who were these enemies? Because they, they couldn't look in the scripture and say, hey, it says here that you are adversaries. They didn't have that advantage. They had to figure this out along the way. Well, these were the people around them. These were the, they call them sometimes people of the land. And most of the exiles uh, who had come back were from either Judah or Benjamin. Benjamin was a, the smallest tribe. So either Judah or Benjamin are the remnant. They're the ones who have come back. And then uh, the ones in the north were in Samaria. They were the the mix of what had been scattered and others who had been brought in. Assyria treated that northern area as a dumping ground uh, after their conquests. They would go conquer and then they would take half those people and dump them in the north and mix it all up. This had been going on for 200 years. It was a form of ethnic cleansing. It's a horrible practice, a horrible thing to do. And so these were the people that were in the north, and they had to figure out, well, they're kind of like us, but they're not really like us, and we need to, to somehow discern this thing. So what we see are five tactics. And those tactics, uh, five uh, adversarial tactics, uh, we need to recognize. And, and you can almost call them five different adversaries, although you may encounter adversaries that have all of these. You might say, I don't have any enemies. Well, you do have one enemy for sure. And there will be others that come that, that we need to, to recognize and see because we don't always readily do that. The first one is what I'm going to call the false friend, the imitation friend. Uh, there were those who claimed to be friends. He said, hey, let us build with you. Uh, we worship the same God as you do, and we've been sacrificing him ever since the days that, that this pagan king brought us here. Well, we worship the same God, but let's be friends. Now, we look in the scripture and we know they weren't friends. They were adversaries. They were gonna, they're going to work against them. And the thing we need to realize is that not everyone who claims to be your friend is your friend. Have you known that to be true? Some of you, yeah. And sometimes we, we, when we realize it, it's, it's a very painful thing. Someone who had claimed to be our friend is really not our friend. And so uh, in this case, you know, we can see because it tells us that they were adversaries. But this can be a difficult one to recognize. I often like to say, well, I don't have any enemies. Um, well, yeah, we do. 
I like to approach with trust. I don't like to be a suspicious person. But the Bible tells us, keep your eyes open. Be watchful. So scripture warns us about this. 2 Corinthians 11 says, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, people often, you know, we characterize this is the season where you see these devilish things on TV and in the front yards of people and things like that. The devil doesn't walk around looking like the devil. He doesn't because you'd say, ah, you're the devil. Get out of here. The devil comes around as masquerading in, in a very brilliant, attractive form. Something that we would be drawn to. And unless we're discerning, unless we know the word of God, we will not recognize. So, so do not be d- seduced uh, by this. Don't be seduced by, by the need to have people like you or need to have the world to like you and approve of you. These people uh, of the land were not interested in helping. They were jealous. They had been watching. Their rock quarry was being taken over. They had been pulling rocks out of this place forever to build things, and they didn't like any of this. They wanted to infiltrate the rebuilding process, slow it down, and stop it entirely. So for us, we need to beware of that phrase that we hear in this scripture, The phrase that says, we worship the same God as you. Have you ever heard that? Nod your head. You've heard it a lot. We hear it all the time. Oh, we worship the same God. There's only one God. We have the same word. And so uh, we're all on the same team. Uh, it, it, It sounds good, but it's often far from the truth. And really, it's the sounding bell of many uh Uh, movements that we call ecumenical, the bringing together, which means let's all get together. Let's reduce our ideas about God, uh, plural, ideas about God, to the lowest common denominator. Let's strip aside anything that might divide us, anything that might offend. And so we're going to take out the gospel. We're going to take out Jesus. We're going to take out the doctrine of sin. We're going to take out the truth that people are lost and need Jesus. Take all that away. And we'll just sort of sing kumbaya in a circle. I've sat in meetings where where this was the the main focus. So this is not what God has called us to. It was not at all what God was calling these people to. We hear the same thing often in cult groups. They'll say, we worship the same God. Well, you use a different scripture. Oh, it's the same scripture. No, you changed it. When you study cults, you'll see they've changed. They've twisted. It's not the same God. It's not the same theology. And so somehow Zerubbabel and Yeshua discerned this difference. It's sort of an amazing thing. Yeshua was a priest and Zerubbabel was a building contractor. He was as practical as a guy you would ever find. Neither of them was a prophet. It never says that they were a prophet and that they were hearing God was saying this and that, uh, you know, speaking through them. There were other prophets that were coming around. But, But they had leadership giftings and together they... I would say, figured out that this was not a good deal. It may may have just been very obvious to them. I I think a building contractor has kind of seen it all. (laughs) And they could recognize whether this is a, a true offer or not. So they said, no way. You have nothing to do with us in building the house of our God. We alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel. You know, it sounded, when I was studying this, I thought, that sounds kind of rude. Why are you just... Couldn't you say, not now, maybe later? 
No, they needed to rebuff this because it was not an offer that they could receive. And the truth is, if, if you worship the same God, then that same God would have stirred the heart of Cyrus to command you to rebuild the temple and to fund you to rebuild the temple. And he didn't. And if you worship the same God, he probably would have told us, you know, that you're supposed to receive the help. We didn't get any word on this. This is all new to us. So they said, no way. You know, the prophet Hosea warned against this. He warned against trusting Ephraim. And now Ephraim was the largest of the northern tribes, the most influential tribe. They were also the one most prone to worshiping idols. They're really the main reason that the north got judged and scattered, Ephraim. And the prophet Hosea said, Ephraim is joined to idols, leave him alone. It was a prophecy. Don't trust the people of Ephraim, what's left of the people of Ephraim. So what do you do with this? Well, they, you know, we repel. That's the third part. We resist and then we repel uh, with the word. Do not partner with the enemy. Had been part of the word of God ever since Moses. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. We do not want to fall into a snare. Our New Testament says the same thing. It's a little bit different. 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be unequally yoked or partnered with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? We're not to be partnered with those that we do not know are are worshiping the one true living God. that That are, in our case, that know and love Jesus. I'll tell you that some of the most agonizing situations I've seen in people's lives have been when they partnered, they created a business partnership or a political partnership or something like that with someone who is not a believer or a marriage partnership with someone who is not a believer. So the, the scripture warns us against that. Our temptation is to make alliances and it really reveals a lack of faith. The truth is that God is perfectly capable of completing the plans he has. How many of you know he's got it all? He will help you. You don't need to say, uh, oh, I'll get some help over here from these people. I know they're not believers, but I need that help. No. We need to trust that God will get us there. The second enemy, the second uh, adversary is the discourager. When they they didn't succeed in infiltrating, um, then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, the Hebrew word is rafa. It means to slacken, consume, weaken, or make feeble. I like that the King James uh, translates it. It weakened the hands of the people of Judah. Have you ever been around people that just made you feel weak? They didn't wore you down, wore you out. And there are many ways to discourage. I mean, this is probably uh, discouraging talk and negative rumors and gossip and things like that. You, you've heard the sorts of things. Uh, so the one that comes around and just off to the side says, you're never going to finish. You're never going to finish that. Why are you even working on that temple? Why are, you work- why are you still working on that business? Why are you still working on that project? Why are you still working on that degree? You're never going to finish. You don't have enough people. You don't have enough resources. You don't have enough money. How are you going to ever come? You're not going to, it's not going to work. You should just, what? Give up. You should give up. And this is the discouraging word and it will wear you out. The Bible actually talks about people like this, um, but it uses a different name uh, in the 
in the book of Proverbs, it uses the word fools and says, resist, don't listen to fools. Uh, There's several different scriptures. I've got them in your notes, but uh, don't speak to fools. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool. Don't hang around with fools. Leave the presence of a fool. Don't, it's the same. Why do, why do I say that's the same thing? Those who are discouragers don't believe that God can do anything. And that's a fool. That's a foolish person. And they bring that into your presence and they wear you down. So how do we do that? We, we repel with the word. Each one of these. See, Jesus, every time he said, but the word of God says, but the word of God says. If we don't know the word of God, we're not going to do very well when these adversaries come around. First Thessalonians 5, therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another just as you are doing. It's why we have small groups. It's why we have Sunday school classes. It's why we, have, we gather like this to come around and be with some people who will encourage us. You know, we don't have a, a, a discouragement group. <laughs> we, we don't have that. We need to be in the presence of those who will encourage us. It's so very, very important. You know, Deuteronomy 31 says, it is the Lord who goes before you. We need to claim that. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. The third adversary is the fear monger. (laughs) And the fear monger, uh, I didn't know how else to put it, but that's what they were doing. They then sought to make them afraid. The Hebrew is bahal. It means that to try to make them tremble, to make them be alarmed, to make them feel agitated. They used fear, possibly threats. And if you think about it just a second, boy, do we know about that. We, we live in a time and in a culture that uses fear all the time. There are fear mongers on all sides, <clears throat> all different kinds of fear mongers. And, and they were using these threats, trying to stir up fear among the people. And we need to repel that. Isaiah 41 says, fear not, for I am with you. Let's read this out loud together. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What more do you need? We don't need anything more than that. Second Timothy says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear. Boy, we just need to keep that around, don't we? God gave me a spirit not of fear. You're trying to stir up fear. God gave me a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The, the, fourth, <clears throat> the fourth enemy that comes around, I'm going to call the frustrator. Uh, the scripture says that they bribed counselors, paid counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. Can you imagine? Professional frustration consultants. <laughs> they came around, and, and yet I wonder sometimes, I mean, I mean, have you ever been in a place where you thought maybe somebody's being paid to frustrate what we're doing specifically? And so the frustrators came around. They hired counselors, the NIV says, to, to work against them and to frustrate their plans. The word is parar. It means to break up, to dissolve, to make void, to break up things, to disrupt things, to dissolve things, to make things void, to sabotage the process uh, by breaking up the team, breaking up the process, breaking up the teamwork. 
And that's, so that's what they were doing. How do we repel that with the word? Don't let yourself get frustrated. Boy, that's so much easier said than done, isn't it? Galatians 6 says, let us not grow weary of doing good. Sometimes we get so frustrated, we just want to quit. And that's what the enemy wants. That's what the adversary wants. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. First Peter 5 says, cast all your anxieties on him. Take those anxieties, take those frustrations, put all your frustrations on it. Here, these are yours, Jesus, you take them. He says, that's right, I want them, I'll take care of that. You don't need to be dwelling in that, living in that. And the fifth adversary is, I'm going to call the accuser. And that's one of the names of the devil, if you didn't know it. He's called the accuser in scripture. When you hear those accusations, you know, in your own head, you're no good, you messed up, you sinned too much. You know who that is? That's the devil. That is not Jesus talking to you. That's not Jesus. And these accusations came. Verse 6, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, I had to work on that one, wow. (laughs) In the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants. They started writing accusations against the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And the rest of chapter 4 is about these letters. The part I didn't read, it's got a lot of names, it's got a lot of stuff in there, uh, historical stuff. But the rest of chapter 4 talks about the letters and the, the, the first letter was filled just with lies. Uh, some of the lies. Uh, they are rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. This was never a rebellious and wicked city. They are finishing the walls and foundations. They weren't even close to finishing the walls. They hadn't started the walls. They hadn't started the foundations. They had laid the foundation for the temple and that was all. If this city is rebuilt, they will not pay taxes. Boy, that gets the attention of the bureaucrats, doesn't it? If Jerusalem is fortified, uh, the Jews will take back the territory. There was never a vision to to take back a whole territory. This was to go back and and create the place, rebuild the place for worship. That's what it was about. Lies are a really bad thing. Proverbs 10, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. And whoever utters slander is a fool. There are many, many places in scripture that talk about this. And the hard thing is, I don't know if you've ever had someone... Uh, throw accusations about you, unfounded accusations. What do you do? But, because how do you prove a negative? How do you prove something didn't happen? That has, and, and this is the place of politics right now. Throw out enough accusations and, it, and some of it will stick. Just throw some accusations. It, it, it's, it's a common practice. And so uh, what ended up happening was the king commanded the building project to stop. It stopped. Verse 24, there at the end. But that was until the second year of Darius. In the next chapter that we study, we're going to learn that the construction resumed. How many of you know that the plan of God cannot be thwarted? Say amen, please. The plan of God can't be stopped. His plan is, is, is going to be carried out. So what do you do if there are accusations against you? We repel with the word. There, there's a, a famous scripture, and this is the part of history where it comes from, Isaiah chapter 54. Let's read it out loud together. It's so, so powerful for us. Ready? No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. 
And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. He's declared it. No weapon formed against you shall prosper is the way we say it sometimes. And we can protect ourselves from accusation. First Peter 3 says, have a good conscience. Keep your conscience clear. Don't go around doing things that you could be misunderstood about that could be accused live above reproach don't go places where people are going to say make an accusation because they say well you know it looked like it didn't look good you were you looked like you're in the wrong place having a good conscience so that when you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in christ may be put to shame there are people i know that if somebody uh, throws a, a slanderous thing against them i just laugh Because that can't be, that is not true. You are shameful for bringing that accusation. And that's what this says. There's a place that we can live where our conscience is clear. And when someone slanders us, people will just laugh. That's where I want to be. That's where I hope I can be. So how do you keep from bogging down? Number one, we talked about last week. Keep your priorities straight. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then the second thing is to keep our adversaries in check. When they come around, recognize, resist, and repel. Now, I wrote a a prayer. Sometimes I do that. (laughs) I wrote a prayer, and I want to invite you to pray this with me. Uh, If if your heart, it's just right out of these scriptures and these thoughts in, in a very simple way. And if you'd like to do that, if you're comfortable to stand, I invite you to stand and let's pray together uh, this prayer concerning adversaries, not adversity. Ready? Lord God, I am setting you and your kingdom as my top priority. I am seeking first your righteousness. I desire to walk in the plans that you have for me above all else. Give me the discernment of your spirit to see the adversaries around me and recognize them when they approach. Give me the faith to resist the enemies that try to stop your plans. Give me courage to speak your word to repel them. God, may we be people of the word, people of the truth, people that that walk in the truth and in the plans that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.